Yeah. I'm surprised. That really amazes me. I didn't know that there were two black families that close to Gage Park. I would. I mean, if they don't live there, they come in the neighborhood every day. Cause I know that there are quite a few Thank families you. in at Morell School. There are kids, colored kids, who are in the school. Mm-hmm. There are quite a few now. Like I know a number of colored guys that went to Morell that did graduate last year and they'll be coming engaged. And I mean, it's no argument about it. You know, they play basketball, anything else. They get with the, with the rest of the kids. The voices you've been hearing are just casual voices of people. Uh, adults, parents, and students living in the area known as uh, part of the Southwest Side Gage Park area. That's one of the areas involving the students who attend Gage Park High School, the South Lynn, St. Basil's. This is near Marquette, and both these areas are known, you might say, to most of the world because some five years ago there was such tension. We'll hear about the tension in a moment and changes. When Dr. King led that march in the Chicago area, he was rocked at that time. Who are the people of Gage Park? Who are the students? And you were hearing John Stusser's voice a moment. He was talking to Mrs. Christine Leake, who is a black woman and mother and homeowner who lives in the West Englewood area. And Mrs. Emily Thomas is there. She's the chairman of the education division of the Southwest Community Congress. And uh, Mrs. Uh, Lucille Meyer, who is a, a lifetime resident of the area, was president of the Parent Teachers Association. And we have Andy uh, Fash, who's a Gage Park uh, resident, who's described, you described some hippie in residence. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you got that way, and of course, and, and uh, Beverly DeJohn, who's a student at St. Basil's. No, you're a student at Gage Park, but you live in an area known as St. Basil's. This will all come out as we're talking. And John Schneider, a student of Gage Park High, who lives in an area known as South Lynn. There's something that uh, Ron Sustich was saying about the students, the young, not minding black kids. I mean, it's like anybody else in the neighborhood. It could be the guy next door. If you live in an apartment, the person upstairs. It's just a friend. You know, I mean, there's no difference. It's a human being. They live with you, hang around with each other. It doesn't really matter. Where's the difficulty? Anybody. We'll keep this open, um, by the way. John Schneider. In our neighborhood, in my neighborhood, a lot of it is, it's hard to get along because of the fact that in our neighborhood it's uh, predominantly black just east of us. And it's the, the gangs, the black gangs and the white gangs, they just don't mix. I mean, it's, you know, it starts, the, there's been fights at the school and it carried on. And really, it's hard to get along with them because we fight for the place to hang out at and then they come and, you know, and it, they move in the neighborhood and then, you know, it's just, well, it's hard to get along, really. It's, it'd be easier, easier if, you know, all this pressure hadn't built up in the first place, really. But it's, uh, a lot of it's the gang factor, I think, the pressure and everything. Ron, you mentioned Mrs. that, that um, the gangs came in and there was no place to hang out. To my knowledge, there hasn't been much of anything either in South Lynn or there, certainly in Englewood. There's, there's, there's nothing, nothing for kids no, to there's, do. No, there's a couple parks, but there's no recreational yeah. facilities, whatever that I know of. No, there isn't anything. And even with the parks, there's a problem because I know that Hermitage Park is the mm-hmm. focus for uh, many of the many of wars the between fights, the black yeah. and the white kids coming home from Gage Park, which mm-hmm. is a real problem. Do you think that there might be any possibilities of the gangs understanding and seeing that uh, they're both victims of a society that is racist and putting their ends together to make some changes? Well, that w- has, it, has it been tried? 
Not really. No, it's uh, it's hard for us to get together, really, because mm-hmm. at school, at school, it starts out. You know, there's a little uh, fight between one, you know, two people, and then oh, and everybody says, you know, that it was their other guy's fault, and then yeah. it builds up, and and then they don't talk about it. They won't yeah. talk. They'll just fight. It's been my experience with the fights at school that, say, an ordinary fight between two people, uh, if it's two white kids fighting, it's there's nothing made of it. But if a black kid mm-hmm. and a white That's kid right. are fighting, it's, it's then instead of just more, being a right. simple incident, mm-hmm. it's turned into a racial thing. And mm-hmm. I think that's turned into that by the school administration more than the kids. It is. It and that's over. where the problem comes from. If these things could be taken out as well as mm-hmm. just two kids fighting about something ridiculous yeah. like kids fight for, then maybe that would help Yeah, I think the as problem. we're talking, Mrs. Leake and <coughs> John Schneider, a uh, student, are talking. Mrs. Leake, a, a parent and homeowner. I think perhaps a background of this area, because to me this is perhaps middle America in its most dramatic form. Uh, People who live there, Mrs. Thomas and Mrs. Meyer, the area, the nature itself, the history of it, beginnings, everybody can just chime in as you go along. Well, um, I think that here you have these people who are the homeowners, the white homeowners, like where John was talking about, they really gave their whole lives to a little piece of property. Now maybe they came from the old world, uh, where to own a piece of property, you were all own the king's own property. So this means a great deal to them. And uh, maybe they put a higher value on that. And they did without a great many things in order to own it. To, to get another house of equal, equal house, and, uh, but in another area, they'd have to pay an extra $10,000. So when they see blacks coming in, they think in terms that I'm going to have to move soon. Now, this is sort of a pattern that has been set up, but they can't move. They don't have that extra $10,000. And blockbusters and panic peddlers really feed on all these fears. And uh, they're the ones that make the money out of it. And the blacks lose in that they are wind up buying on contract and have it taken away and it's sold again and the whites lose because they even though they're quoted a good price by the time they have paid points as they call it well uh, they they have gone way below uh, the price of the building so they it's really a lot of people are preying on this situation and there doesn't seem to be anyone that's uh, trying to help but we lay out the area, it's of nature, the people. These are, I take it that this is lower middle class, is that right, Mrs. Meyer? That's uh, true. Um, many people came, as Mrs. Thomas mentioned, uh, possibly <coughs> from the old world. In fact, my dad was one of the founders of the Gage Park Improvement Club in 1907 or thereabouts. And these people had to fight for sewers and had to fight for many things in those days when Hetty Green, I believe, was a multimillionaire mm. and, and had all the property surrounding the area. And so when they did get a little uh, pile, you might say, of a couple hundred dollars, they put it down on some property and either uh, built a little house or the house was there. And uh, some of the people are still living in these houses of. Uh, 50, 60, 70 years old, but of course most of them have been kept up to date uh, with uh, improvements of one kind or another. Uh, We have people from uh, different backgrounds. We have Irish who uh, attend, uh, perhaps in my area now, St. Clair, and we have the Italians who also attend this parish, and Slovish who attend the St. Simon Church, and then we have the Lutheran, German Lutherans who attend uh, a Lutheran church, uh, Tabor Lutheran, and perhaps some go to Hope. 
And uh, we have Russian uh, Orthodox who attend St. Peter and Paul. St. Peter and St. Paul Church, and I guess there's a Baptist and a Methodist. Uh, they came from all different walks of life and all different backgrounds. And these people, as I mentioned before, most of them are still living there. If they're not living there, then their children are living in the homes that they uh, purchased years ago. Into this area, then, <coughs> has been has come a community of blacks, or have black people, Mrs. Leek, lived there a long time, to you yourself. You yourself have lived there for a long time. Yes, I've been in Inglewood for 13 years, but uh, many of my friends were born and reared in Inglewood and went to uh, Lindblom High School and, uh, you know, participated in the area all of their lives. They've never lived anywhere else but, even when the area was uh, primarily white. There have always been some black people in Inglewood, black families. My husband went to Lindblom and uh, it was integrated at that time. Yeah. It was integrated. Yes, yes, yes. I too yes. went there. Yeah. Graduated in '35, yeah. and it was integrated. So whence comes now? We come to whence comes the tensions. You speak the nature of a city, change in a city. You speak of panic peddlers and blockbusters, and yet we know more than that is involved. Why I is think a little uh, anti-fash? A little of the panic comes, uh, or maybe not a little, maybe a lot of it. Uh, the Gage Park area residents have known for a long time that a large black community dwelled just to the east of them. And uh, they had seen uh, other areas, you know, slowly ebb away to a, a black tide of sorts. And uh, the Gage Park area, I think, knew, you know, that someday this is going to happen to them, but it was always in the back of their minds. Now all of a sudden, Gage Park High School, you know, has a large portion. Of which you're a graduate. Yes. There's a large portion of blacks coming into it. And the residents, I think, in the area have become, you know, the, the reality comes crashing through the window, you know, the, the time of trial and things like that. And I think a lot of it has been simply uh, exploded beyond its proportions. It's not that threatening. It, it, it's not that uh, horrible, you know, that, that these people would want to live in the community. Why not? Yeah, I think it might be a very good idea. Certainly, if, if if the community were were integrated to an extent where both could dwell together, this sounds hopelessly, you know, utopian sometimes, I think, uh, all the tension would simply go away, you know, and, and uh, in order for people to move in there, they'd have to be of relatively the same economic uh, standing as the residents in the community, which of course would preclude an education of some sort, uh, a job of a certain caliber, and uh, I think they would be integrated quite well into the community. I think, you know, uh, several things come to mind uh, that uh, the word, I've heard the word tenants and uh, tenant groups and homeowners. Now, we always associate in the past, in, in uh, ghetto communities, tenants being blacks or Appalachian whites living in public projects. Here's precisely the opposite, isn't it? More so. They're more homeowners, especially among <laughs> yes. the blacks than there uh, are tenants. So the tenants are, are mostly white. In well, this no, area. because no, there are no. white homeowners also. No. It's mostly middle class or lower mm, middle no. class, a few upper middle class no. people in the area. Well, let's get into why the situation it just involves many things, the nature of the city itself and changes, special interests, of course, and the nature of the society. But school, a while back, Ron, you were talking about the kid's a kid. You didn't mind it. So the attention, Beverly, to John, you've lived in this area all your... You're now a sophomore... Uh, a senior. You're a senior at Gage Park High. Yeah. So you'd be about 17? Mm-hmm. All your life in this area? All my life. Oh, shoot. 
Well, when I was small, there weren't hardly any coloreds. Well, I'd hardly ever even seen any, except while well, my mother had taken me shopping or something like that. And we'd always go on 63rd and Halstead down around there, and it was really a nice shopping center then. But I mean, I'd be scared to death right now to go down there. I mean, I'd, I'd like to see myself live through it. And, uh, but it's just changed. The kids change, their attitudes change. Um, I know people that have uh, prejudices against the black people because, not because it's put in, well, it's put into them, but only by their self. Um, my boyfriend, now I'm just giving you for an example, when he was younger, he lived on 79th and Racine, and it was an integrated neighborhood where uh, the whites hung out on this corner. And one night, some black kids came by, and they shot his best friend, and he laid there in the street, and he died. And ever since that, he has had, I think, the worst prejudice that I've ever seen in a person against black people. And I mean, I'm not really that prejudiced against black people, but I mean, I think we should all get together, really. Do you and your boyfriend talk about this a lot? Yes, we do. It and sounds like she's trying to change your mind. I have. I mean, because I've yelled at him because I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yelled at no. <laughs> he'll be walking down the street and he'll see a car full of black kids or something and he'll start yelling out vulgarities and everything like that. And I'll go, why are you doing that? You know, you're just going to promote trouble. And he'll go, well, I hate him. That's all there is to it. I don't want to see him around here. I go, a lot of good that's going to do yelling at him. You're just going to get him to come around here more. Yeah, but you know, Ron said something. At the very beginning, the first voice we heard from here began was Ron Sustich. And you were saying that it, it never occurred to you. You know the difference. But the guys, it comes from, uh, you were implying it comes from the elders. Well, very often. Well. Now, my parents, themselves, they don't really care if one moves in the neighborhood. What, are, what can you do? They're going to buy a home? They buy a home. You can't really argue against it. But, I mean, the kids themselves, most of them get along. When the neighborhood's mixed, I think they get along better. But when you get the clash, like, now, you get farther west from where we are, and it's basically all white. And the gangs in there, and farther east where it's predominantly black, those gangs, when they get together, there's a clash because they're living on... Like the whites are among whites and the blacks are among blacks. And there's no, I mean, there's no gradual change in there where they mix. But like in a, if you get like in a mixed neighborhood where we're start, they're starting to get in our area. And as they come in slowly and it's mixing, there's no problem because they're, they're living in there. It's not just like you meet at one point where it's a big conflict. <coughs> Five years ago when I was going to Gage Park High School, I had a circle of friends and uh, in no way did it constitute anything of a gang, and your we friends are all white. Oh yes, yeah, yeah right. Uh, five years ago, yeah, yeah. and uh, it was a, a clique, though more or less. And we had our hangout, our corner, or something like that. But but then you know we went one of those roving things or something, whatever a gang is today, and uh, it was all almost a suburban setting in a way. And in like the you know the functions of the group, what you know who was dating whom and who was going to whose party and things like that, and so for me this this idea of uh, of of gang type structure is is a new concept, something that has happened, I I would say since I have left Gage Park High School, uh, of a of a more of a 
um, I don't know what uh, a conglomerate process has sort of happened, I think, where kids have gotten together not to get together, but somehow to, to maintain the social structure that's there and it's sort of working against the change that must take place in order for equilibrium to once again be regained. Uh, I'm, I maybe I could bring in a little updating of what's happened to the circle of friends that I've had. Uh, we are still mainly pretty much together. Some of us have gone off to various colleges, like I went to New York and now I'm back again. Um, other of my friends have been in the service, they've come back. Um, most of us now are all pretty freaky looking, you know, the long hair. That's it, your friends, <laughs> looks, this, these guys are members of your gang of the group there, gone out. Uh, I should describe uh, Andy, who's quite handsome, as indeed everybody here is, but he has a quite a luxuriant beard and long hair. Do your friends uh, too? Yes, especially those that have been in the armed forces. They've come back, and now that they no longer have to, now that they no longer have to appear before their local board or anything that would be really hassling to them, uh, they are really, you know, freaky-looking people. Uh, it's great. I mean, they have that prerogative in America to look like they want to look. Um, and uh, there has even been some marrying you know, among the childhood sweethearts that grew up in high school. And so the, the group is still pretty much together. I have one little question for everybody. What would your boyfriend uh, think if he saw Andy Fash, beard and long hair? Oh, he'd um, want to jump him on his face. <laughs> 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 he can't stand hippies. <laughs> yeah. And we're all in the same area. This right, is the and these yeah. kids yeah. that have gotten married from this group are living yet within the Gage Park area. They haven't moved out. Mrs. Meyer, you were going to yes, say something. Well, um, I was just grateful that my daughter um, chose a husband without a beard, <laughs> <laughs> because I suppose it's the middle-aged uh, something or other that uh, we like to see the clean-shaven uh, conformity of uh, young people that uh, we grew up with. Yeah. Uh, I don't uh, feel that this takes anything away from your personality. I've known Andy a long time, but uh, I haven't seen him for a while and don't know really what he's doing now. But I was going to say that um, I think society has a lot to do with the way the kids act today. Um, in certain uh, communities, the parents still have the upper hand. They tell the kids, you know, that you must do this and you must do that. Perhaps it is conforming to certain rules and regulations. But I think that if more parents would take more of an interest in their kids, uh, there wouldn't be perhaps as much prejudice as there is, and uh, uh, people might be able to get along a little better. I think that the Parent-Teacher Association tries to do this in, in trying to get people of all um, races and creeds together and, and try to uh, promote parent education, how to bring up the children, not telling them how to bring them up, but uh, giving them some pointers along the way. And uh, I think that uh, if more parents would um, sit down and talk with their kids, perhaps there's a communication gap there, and, and I think that uh, there might be a little more peace and uh, uh, tranquility in society today. Uh, but then if the parents are the ones who have the prejudice and they talk to their kids, which is what happens, then the kids carry it because much of the trouble that's generated in Gage Park comes from the Gage Park Civic Organization that is organized and controls Gage Park High School. Oh, I don't think they control Gage Park High the, School. And from the elder people in that community. Now there are a few, as everywhere, thank God, 
who do try to work for some stabilization of the community. But some of the elders in the community, both black and white, uh, who continue to pass on these prejudices are really a part of the problem. And I think if it might be better if they didn't sit down and talk to their kids unless they could tell them, well, you know, these are people. Yeah, well, and this is uh, they what I think people should start be. talking about. People are people, but some and people not can't black do and that. White. I think it's like sex. Some people can't talk about sex to their kids, and some people can't talk about race relations well, to their kids true. because they're so hung up on it themselves that they can't possibly communicate to their children. Plus, the fact, you know, instead, I don't think you can. You've mentioned um, the system and the society, and you know as being a part of it. But I think that basically that plays a large part in what happens at Gage Park. The whole structure of our nation, of our city, uh, which is set up to keep minority groups and black people particularly on a certain level continues to come yeah. forth at Gage Park. I was implying well, when I said uh, blackbusters panic was simply a minor part. Of course, mm -hmm. I, I, I agree with you that we have to get to the core of it, the very nature of our mm -hmm. society itself. But I want to keep, I want to hear more of this conversation. Uh, Beverly, you were about to say something. Um, Mrs. Leakes was talking about stabilization. Well, our group, well, I hang in a pretty big clique. We have about 50 kids. Mm -hmm. and that's a pretty big clique. And, um, Is it all white? Oh, yes, mm -hmm. all white. And, um, well, we had noticed that since the blacks had been moving over towards, well, you've probably heard of the Burger King area. Mm -hmm. Now this is really a What area is this? Burger King. King. Bur yes. This is a very bad trouble zone, and I live right across the street from there. Now, as the blacks were moving in, the whites were coming together with the blacks. And I mean, there wasn't that much of a prejudice between them, and they started hanging around together. Well, that was fine. But I don't know what happened, but it ended up in a colored man getting shot and killed and another one injured. And it ended up in one of my friends uh, getting shot in the head and now he is a complete, like a vegetable. Um, he was shot in the head and he, I mean, it's, it's senseless. It seems like they could get together to a certain point and something would happen and then they'd just totally break up and go into some kind of a revolution or something against each other. There's a very interesting thing that some of the some uh, uh, young people will come from as far away as 79th and uh, and Racine to get into things that are brewing in the Gage Park area. In other words, uh, this is a place to get some kicks. This is a place to get some excitement, and so they uh, seem to feel that they can use it for this. And of course, this is the community, and eventually the high school, because these things that happen out in the area spill into the high school if it isn't settled there. And then it becomes retaliation. You know, one day one, now the next day the other. Did you mention high school? We'll come back later, Mrs. Meyer, thoughts about parents, the PTA. High school. What about high school teachers? What about teachers? Well, let's ask the alumnus first, <laughs> Andrew Fash. Um, in, in what way, teachers? Um, well, who are they? Are they? Do they dig what's going on, the teachers well, at the um, Gage Park High School? I've recently revisited Gage Park High School, and uh, I saw many of the teachers that I had there. Uh, many of the older teachers have retired by now, and uh, this, I think, is good in a way. I mean, this is a, you know, a process that is natural and should always occur. And uh, there are quite a few new teachers. Now, I have no way of, you know, evaluating what, well, what kind of instructors I guess these then, are. 
John or Ran or, or Beverly? Yeah. Uh, Ran? Well, most of the teachers, most of the older ones are leaving, and now we have teachers that are fairly young now. And, oh, I guess most of them are beginning to see the problem that the kids are having. They're trying to, in a way, in the classroom, trying to settle the problem. They're opening discussions more often. I mean, before it was a teacher said, you, you know, you sit there, you sit there, and now we've just, the classrooms have opened up, and we've had discussions on the pro racial problems, and they try to settle it, many of the kids, in the classroom. Yes, you see, when I was going to Gage, there were no black students. Consequently, there was no problem, you see. Of course, the problem was always there, but mm -hmm. but it didn't have it to be... Invisible. Yeah, it didn't <laughs> have to be dealt with. Yes. You know. uh -huh. John Schneider, you... Well... The teachers try, but I don't. They don't go about it in the right way. I don't think they. A lot of times, they're afraid of what can happen to them. They, you know, they bow to the kids because they're afraid that you know they hear all these stories about all these other teachers from other schools getting beat up and shot and everything. Well, they're afraid to uh, really open it up because they don't want to start any more trouble. But a lot of them, I think that uh, about half of them are still pretty prejudiced. I believe mm -hmm. that they don't. They just. You know, try to put it in back. They try to forget about it. They don't like to talk about it. You know, they figure you know, let it, you know, let it alone. It'll go away. Do they talk uh, some of the older teachers about the good old days when there were no black kids? They don't. Not saying those words when the kids um, were well mannered. Not really. No, they don't. They don't. They don't talk about it. Um, they don't. Um, I've had one teacher that really had any views on it, and we talked in his class only like twice during the whole year. But none of the other teachers like to talk about it. We don't, you know, it's study, 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 this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. An interesting point here, maybe uh, not dealing specifically with Gage Park High School, but yet with my, uh, my peers that graduated with me from Gage Park, uh, several of them now are teachers themselves. They've finished their college and all the requirements, and they're teaching in the inner city schools. And... Uh, their lines are completely integration-oriented. Uh, I've never seen more liberal people in my life. Now, these are kids like myself who grew up, always lived in the Gage Park area, and these kids are coming back to live in the Gage Park area, even though they're teaching in another area of the city. Now, where did these kids get this idea, right? Uh, did, they, did they discover that in college? I think perhaps they did. Uh, they certainly didn't get that at Gage Park High School because we didn't have that that type of problem then. But yet they've come back with the idea that, you know. So when they, whatever they got, you feel they got outside rather than in this community, in yes. the high school. What are your thoughts on it, Beverly? Teachers well, and students. <coughs> well, the teachers, they, they don't say much because, well, like Jan said, they're afraid of what can happen to them. But I don't think it's mostly what will happen to them by the students, but what the administration can right. do to them. Amen to that. And, uh, <coughs> well, I had one teacher while I was in John's class, and like you said, we only talked on it a couple times. And it seemed like he kept on beating around the bush about it. He wouldn't give his, his complete thoughts on the matter. He'd uh, just try to get our views on it and try to avoid it for himself. And we'd ask him something, and, oh, he'd say, oh, well, I don't want to discuss it. And. I mean, what can they do to you? If you want to speak your mind, speak it. I mean, they what can they fire you is what can happen to you if you're a teacher. That's and that takes away your livelihood. If you have a family to support, you're going to be quiet. But I can't see why they have that. I mean, in the Constitution, they give us the right of speech. 
And why, in the school administration, should they take it away from us, take away the thoughts that we have and be able to say what we think? Let me ask you a question when you say in the Constitution. When you go to Gage Park, do you feel like you're going into a concentration camp? No. Don't you? Well, I've talked to some white students who do feel that way. No, I that don't. They are going, that Gage Park is like a concentration area. And I know that often when I'm up there and uh, I see the numbers of policemen, uh, all the chaos, it just drives me to utter frustration to think that kids have to go to school in that kind of an atmosphere. Well, and, then, and speaking of the teachers, that's, I, want, I think it's important to know that there are no black students here because one reason is we felt that if we ask a black student, or at least I felt, that if we ask a black student who attended Gage Park to come and view their opinions, that they would catch hell for the rest of the time that they were in school. And uh, some of the kids who were out and wanted to come back couldn't because they were working or, working or going to summer school. But it was very difficult. And even some of the kids who wanted to put their necks on the line, their parents felt that it was much too dangerous for them. Because 600 students may start out at Gage Park. Let's get this. There are 600 uh, black students. Well, the 600 may start. Yeah. But there are not 600 that finish. Oh, that graduate. By oh. the time they finish knocking off the leaders who want to uh, make the situation better for black students, and by the time you get to be a senior, and they think of 50 dozen different ways between being arrested and suspended and dropped, how many kids graduate out of that school? So Somebody should be doing some statistics oh, so on you, that, you, and it you, would you're be disproportionate. Far less than the 600. Right. Out yeah. of what, 2,600, yeah. Mrs. Meyer? Couldn't some of this be uh, the dropping out because uh, perhaps they haven't attained the uh, scholastic uh, requirements and so be. on, and yes. perhaps the, the troublemakers and so on. I mean, but you, you know, see, a troublemaker at Gage Park is a black student who is going to stand up for his rights. That is, he is not going to be oh, pushed around by the administration or by the policeman. You know, if you've ever been in the school, I was in I've school been there once. often. Well, then you know you have fact, to. This is my second term as PTA see, president, you know, so uh -huh. I've been there like eight years. Well, I've been in Gage Park even before my kids started going to Gage Park, and I have seen so many things and been in the middle of some things that scared my <coughs> liver, and I've been in the middle of, the, of a war, and there I've never been, been as afraid as I was in Gage Park standing next chaos, to the bookstore. You know. you know. Mrs. Meyer, what are the uh, thoughts of your president of PTA for your second term, and you've been a lifetime resident in the area? The parents, uh, are there black parents to PTA? Well, we invite all parents of the kids. Um, in PTA is anywhere, Gage Park, Nightingale, any of the schools in the area, uh, the parents are not as, uh, what should we say? Active. <laughs> Active. They don't come out, have other things to do, and so on. And uh, we find that uh, we would like to work with the black parents because we feel that uh, uh, communicating one with another, perhaps we could get some of our ideas across and they could communicate with us their ideas. But we don't seem to uh, have too many. We have two, three attending our meetings and uh, these are working people. We also have a biracial committee that meets every second Monday. These are 12 black women and 12 white women. They meet with the administration and the um, public relations man from District 12 and uh, they try to iron out problems. They also police the school, as it were, go through the corridors trying to stop fights, and they do. And we do have policemen there, but doesn't every school. Uh, this is for the protection of the kids. And uh, I have a young boy going there, and I'm, I'm grateful to the police for being there, because in these times, I think that our school is not unique in having trouble. 
In I fact, I know we're not. You know, there was a very interesting thing in this contest that we had, uh, asking for ideas to uh, solve some of the problems, racial problems, in Gage Park area. And uh, almost all the students were saying uh, to, to relieve the tension, to reduce the tension, to take some of the pressures off. And this included removing the police. And I know that the parents feel that they need those police to protect their safety of their children. So you really have the two opposite things there. You have parents wanting more police so their kids are safe. And you have the children saying, I can't grow in this atmosphere. This is too much pressure. It's too much, uh, uh, it's too much uh, tension, and it increases the tension. What are your attitudes around toward the police in the school? Well, I myself, I mean, there have to be a certain number of police there to the building itself. But now last year, I think the number of police increased so greatly that I think th th we had a ratio like two students to every policeman at one point. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And it's bad enough that they come into the school, but they, c they take the whole neighborhood. They block mm -hmm. off every street mm -hmm. in the neighborhood, and they'll line up on the streets, mm -hmm. and they'll... Uh, They'll stand out there, and the thing is that they don't, uh, they don't really want to see the problems. There's a fight, they come up and bite a neck, you know, pull one kid down, knock another kid. It's not like they just try to break up the fight. It's like they want to fight themselves. Mm -hmm. If we could eliminate, I mean, you gotta have some there for the school, but if we can eliminate the number that like we have, yeah, eliminate the number and also. Uh, bring about some fairness and treatment. And I think that's true on both sides because both white and black parents are screaming about this fairness that comes uh, with the police department. Now, it's, it's been better for black kids this past year, but in previous years it was absurd and preposterous the things that happened to the black students up there. Anything that would happen, there was always the black students being arrested and taken off to jail, then they'd come back to school and be dropped or suspended and nothing would ever happen. No, that is you know, that's a problem. I wouldn't say nothing would ever happen, but in comparison to what was happening, even when you ask people, it was always the black students who were wrong, you know, and always if there are two people fighting, then logically you take both people in and listen and, you know, make your judgments accordingly, but that generally uh, But you wasn't said that done. it's improved now. Oh, I think the past year has been better, you know. Uh, as I said, it, it still gets me to go up to the school about 2.30, and as John says, see the policemen blocking off the streets and 50 million of them up there. Well, it, was it really gets to me. I, 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 it disturbs me greatly. I don't think there's too much I can say about that. And on the other hand, again, going along with Mrs. Meyer, you have to decide, well, which is better, the safety of the children. But the question is, if the police are part of the problem, then somehow you have to contain the policemen and make them part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Whereas before, the policemen have been part of the problem and not a part of the solution. There has been some change in that, though, and I think uh, that's been because of concerned black parents uh, and other people were involved in that, including the students, you know, and ask for uh, a change in the attitude of the 8th District Police. That's one of the things that we have suggested to help this is for the police. And when we talk to uh, commanders... You say we, uh, the Southwest we, Community, <coughs> Community Congress. Uh, when we talked to the uh, commander of the 8th District about this, he said this was not the job of the uh, police department. Their job is to have order and to bring order about. 
However, there is no one at this present time concerned with trying to guide these students in the right direction and trying to sort of help them to grow uh, personality-wise, to sort of grow out of some of these uh, uh, trouble spots. And we are going to suggest that they have a training program for the, the security officers that will be working in the schools that will give them some training to understand young people better and maybe take a little bit different approach to uh, say a high school disorder than they would a uh, an adult situation. You want to say something, uh, yeah, Beverly? About, <clears throat> about saying that the blacks were always being accused. Not always, but more frequently. But more frequently than the whites. Well, could you imagine if the uh, consequences were reversed? There were 600 whites in an all-black neighborhood, like they went over to Inglewood. Now, okay, so you go and you talk to some of the parents when a, when a racial uprising happened, and you'd say, well, the whites did it. I mean, it's prejudice all the way around is what it is. Let me ask you, how 600 students in a school of 2,600 can raise as much hell as has been said that the <coughs> black students raise? That's impossible. No, it's not, because they've heard, I mean, I'm with it too. I mean, I'm not afraid to go there. I'm not. But a lot of kids are. To go Be to Englewood? No, to go to Gage Park. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because um, they've heard that, well, the Blackstone Rangers are coming up and the Disciples and everybody else that yeah. is in one of these... Where have they heard this? Rumors. Mm -hmm. That's From, all it is. Which was something we've overlooked with your white gangs because when you get the white hats and the Burger Kings and uh, who else is it? The gang from St. Rita's and a few mm -hmm. of the other guys that come in there <laughs> and start a whole lot of problems and start the rumors and start passing out the leaflets, you know, about kill the niggers, get, uh, what's a guy, a uh, friend of mine, uh, Wilson. James Wilson, get James Wilson, kill him, hang him in effigy in the school grounds, and paint up the. St that was done by white people. That Wait, wasn't uh, done by black gangs. That was done by white people John, all the way up to 59th Street. John Schneider. Well, the white gangs engaged are in a minority, really. I mean, there's a few gangs represented, but I mean, the most of the guys that I know that go to Gage, I guess you refer to them as like dupers, and they don't. Uh, go out for street fighting and all this kind of uh, gang warfare. Is dupers a word? Uh, dupers? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. it's, new, it's, it's a class. It's it's, it's, I never yeah, heard of that. It's, it's a new word? Like uh, greasers. Yeah. Or oh, greasers. Greasers are Mexicans yeah. and Puerto Ricans, yeah. aren't they? No. no, no, no not anymore. Are, oh, greasers no, are working anymore. class Hardly. white kids, pretty much. Uh, okay, okay I'm a square. Dupers are a collegiate. No, they're not no, collegiate. They're, they're it's a cross. It's, yeah. it's a cross it's between a collegiate <laughs> and a greaser. Yeah. It's oh. it's what you are. What's a it's greaser now? now? A greaser. Not a Mexican or a uh, no. no. guys wearing like the black leather coats yeah. and um, oh. low middle class yeah. white kids because of grease used okay. on the hair. The, uh, the symbol. The idea of uh, the idea of hair down. I'm sorry. Oh. You were so what? Dupers in between. Yeah. You were going to say something about the dupers. Well, they don't go out for fighting that much, and it's it's. The fact that um, I'd say that most of black students who go to Gage are in a, like gangs, like you know, they they are more aware like of um, the fights and everything, like uh, because of the, I guess because of the neighborhoods they come from, and therefore you know they know how to fight better and everything. And uh, the whites at Gage, the minority of them know how to fight really, and they're afraid to fight and they stay out of it. I mean. Like you, I like a lot of times during the year, like when there's fights and everything, you hear white guys saying, well, if there was more guys to help us, you know, if we had more, you know, 
that we wouldn't have all this trouble. You know, that's their way of solving the problem is violence, you know, just killing everybody off, you know, and they won't have no more trouble. That's what they think. But I don't think that it's the whites that are uh, doing it because they aren't, I don't think they're capable of it, to tell you the truth. I mean, they don't, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I couldn't see a lot of the guys I know out in a fight, to tell you the truth. <laughs> well, maybe it's those you don't know who would be out. <coughs> Let me ask you a question. This is something I've been wondering about. Kids come into the Gage Park, into the branch, and they get along fine, and generally there's few problems, you know. There's some, but mm -hmm. in comparison. Then they switch over to the main. And for Christ's sake, kids who've been getting along together for a whole year, something happens. That whole it, relationship is blown. What on earth happens to the kids when they get to the when main? When they're freshmen, they're afraid. They don't, you know, they're, it's their first year in high school, and, you know, they're separated from everything else, and they don't know what's going on. And, you know, they try to follow the rules. You know, they learn everything. But after the second year, they know all the tricks and ways <laughs> to get around it. And they're more, yeah. you know, they feel yeah. like they're more part of everything, and they, you know, they can say what they like and everything. The first year, they're, you know, kind of squeezed in. They don't like to say But they're anything. actually friendly. Yeah, uh, to some extent, mm -hmm. in, the, in the branch. But then, in but then they get to the main building, no, and because it's as though somebody says, no, you can't be friendly with blacks or Puerto Ricans, or everybody's got to hang into their own bag, No, it's and you can't get anything accomplished. It's because they feel that, well, I, when I was a freshie, I felt that, well, I had to do everything straight by the rules. I had to go by the book. That was it. I got along fine, and I mean, I still get along good with all the colors. I've never had one fight with one yet. It seems like, well, like Jen said, they learn the tricks of the trade and mm -hmm. they, f they find out that they don't have to follow these regulations that... But they get kicked out of school. I know. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, and even when they follow the regulations, they you, get, you kicked, out get kicked out of school. school. The black yeah, kids. Black. The white do, too. Yeah. yeah, not in proportion, though. But I now mean, we come to something in interesting. Maybe Mrs. that's something you Mrs. wouldn't know about. Mrs. Leake has raised an interesting point here. Why is it, then, uh, yourself, Beverly, or John, I'll ask Ron your thoughts, that that first year is okay, what happens then the second and third? You see, is it something, now do we come to something outside? Do we come to the world outside? Maybe now more and more has an effect on them? The world, it, the my earlier Mrs. Leake talked about the nature of the way we live, you know? It could be that I think most of the kids, well, like when you're in grammar school, you don't go around having fights with colored kids. I mean, if you're in an integrated school, because you feel that, well, Either the teacher's gonna beat you to death or the nun's gonna <laughs> slap you so hard with the stick you're gonna fly out the window. Is that why you but don't fight? You don't fight have them? black kids at St. Basil. So you I never went to St. Basil's. Oh, I'm sorry, I went I to Fulton and we did uh, have colored uh, there. Uh -huh. And, um, but when you get to Gage, it seems like, well, the first part, the branch, is just like grammar school. It really is, except that you're on a higher basis of learning. And, well, you're treated like, well, not an adult in any way. So you go about acting as you did in seventh and eighth grade. Then you get to the main, and you're surrounded with older kids, seniors, juniors, that have gone through stuff. I mean, sure, you know, they're not that experienced, but they know what, they got a pretty good head on their shoulder. So what do you do? You start following them. You follow in their footsteps. You follow in your own color's footsteps. Following your own color's footsteps. That's right. Yeah. That's what most of the kids do. The whites all stick together, and so do the blacks. Ron, your like thoughts on it? Well, the freshmen at the branch out, basically they're isolated from the main <coughs> building. They're all young. Basically, they're still, you know, parents care more about them. They're home at a certain time, and this and that. Like the juniors, and then I'm the seniors now. And I myself, I'm staying out later every night, 11. <laughs> and basically, the parents will give the kids a little more freedom when they're 
Do you have Do you have a black friend? Yeah. Well, mostly in the school because we're mostly in a white neighborhood. But I have black friends in the school, and we get along very well. Do you visit into each other's homes? That's impossible. (laughs) Well, because you probably catch a lot of hell. It's it's almost impossible because I've got a lot of I I got a couple good friends that are black and. I wouldn't go over in their neighborhood if you paid me and to. In the same way, they wouldn't come in eyes either. I w- and that's right. Then it's the fact that you know going into the neighborhood where you know they live in um well they live at 64th and Justine and that black is all that you know. It's Wait a minute, how black. far? We have black friends. How far do they live away from where you live? Only about four blocks. Only four blocks. That's, that's right. Because you're on Hermitage. Right. Yeah. And so a change takes place. You wouldn't go four blocks I away. No, I would not. Would they go four blocks away to your house? They might. <laughs> I don't think so at all. Yeah. I don't think I, so. I think that the kids could get along better if we could keep the school open a little longer. I mean, you come for class every day, and the next thing you know, everything in the, as soon as the kids are out of the building, it's locked. If we could get something going after school, we could get some sponsor, we could get something going after school, the kids could get along. Well, they have the sock cops and other things going. Oh, well, we they carry always once end a month, three months. Bad. Well, oh, see, that's Lord. why, I mean, now uh, Mr. Hahn, the principal, tries to keep a tight school. I know. He suggests keeping the school open, and when I mention sock cops, things happen. You can't really please the whole. Well, now, my brother went to Limbloom. Well, he's about 25 now, and he had gone there quite a long time ago. Every Friday night, they had activity night. Now, he told me, he explained to me what everything was. One gym, roller skating. The other gym had pool tables in it. And in the halls, there were ping pong tables throughout the halls where the kids would get together and play ping pong. And when he went to school there, was when you did, it was integrated. And I mean, the kids got along fine. You never heard about anything bad until the last couple of recent years. You know, I'm thinking of something Mrs. Meyer as head of PTA. The principal suggested a tight school. And what Ron is implying, I was something more flexible. Well, we came up with some ideas for this. We suggested they uh, extend the division time a little bit longer. See, actually, because the uh, schools that these children come from are very different in their scholastic quality, uh, many of the blacks go into the lower tracks. And so they're they're almost separated. There are very few blacks that go into the upper tracks. So you have uh, lots of times where your whole track is almost one thing and your upper track is something else. And so actually, even though they wanted to become acquainted and wanted to become friends, they often can't because they don't see each other except in a class which is rigidly disciplined. And if you would extend a division where they just go by the letter of the alphabet there. Something is evolving in my mind, I'm thinking now. He have a school, John Schneider, particularly John Schneider and Ron, and perhaps Beverly too. They have black friends but they know them in school, but they can't visit them where they live, three, four blocks away, so we can't separate housing from school, can you? No, no. no you really can't. One thing I'd like to ask, and this is a question that has bothered me, and I've been talking, as I mentioned to you, Emily, all over Chicago and the suburbs for a number of years, two white groups, uh, until I finally got tired. And uh, I've never, I can't understand why people would move if, as say for instance Andy said, someone is coming into the community of the same income level, particular same caliber or whatever you want to call it. If you have a home that you've paid for, why would you go just because somebody is another color? I can't understand Um. that. If they do not recognize 
that their enemy is not black people, but the system under which we live. I think white people have to wake right. up and recognize yeah. that fact. And if they do not, they're deluding themselves, talking about the black problem. Because the problem is not black, the problem is white. The problem is the system that perpetuates people coming in and scaring the heck out of you in the middle of the night, telling you black people are coming, or who will arrange a fight between a black person and a white person in your neighborhood, or between a family, and say, see, that's the way the blacks are. And I think that until you recognize what the system does, that you can't even, say for instance, if a white person wanted to move into Englewood, he couldn't get a mortgage. The system is set up so that they can't get a mortgage if they wanted to integrate a neighborhood. And if the powers that be decide that, like with South Shore, that this area is going to change and go all black, then it's impossible for a white person to get a mortgage and move into an area that he wants. There are powers that decide your lives, whether you know it, whether you like it, whether you decide to do anything about it. And I think white people have to understand that and come to grips with that because this is not a comfortable thing. And I think, going back to what you said, um, Beverly, uh, about our Constitution, we have a Constitution that guarantees freedom, that sets out the law of the land that has been totally ignored. Right. For centuries, even the president just asked for a bill that violates the Constitution completely, a no-knock provision to enter into a person's home. Now, if you have the president asking for laws like that, what does this do to the smaller man, to the little guy? You know, he has no control over this kind of thing. And what you have to do, as we're attempting to do in the black community, is to try to control our destiny and not let a few people say what's going to happen to us. And I think white people have to recognize that, especially white middle class, white lower class, white middle middle, upper, whatever you want to call it. I mean, black people and white people have got to function together or this whole country is going to go to pot in a racial well, war again. Now, one of, the things, one of the things that we hope will... Uh, uh, help the uh, white community to do this. See, what has happened before is that you have, uh, when somebody moved in, one person moved in, this didn't bother anybody, two or three were that, that little bit more, and eventually when it got to about 75%, the last ones, they were the ones, the last 25% uh, were the ones that said, well, I can live with these people, they're just like my other neighbors and I'm not gonna move. But what happens is that things happen to their children and uh, parents cannot stand <coughs> to have things happen to their children and then they will move now uh, what we hope we are going to do about this is to get this anti-solicitation ordinance really saturated in our area and i'm sure we're going to have to fight the established Real structure to right. uh, to insist that they really follow up because mm -hmm. here is a chance where a homeowner can say i do not want to be solicited and the law says if you do solicit me after I have officially given you my name not to, you will lose your license. If enough homeowners say, I do not want to be solicited, I intend to stay, well then these uh, panic peddlers possibly will say, well I can't make enough money there and we'll move on somewhere else. Mm -hmm. There seems to be absolutely no protection for that 25% who would say I would like to stay. And it, it, it seems that even though they start out this way and then they are forced to move because their children are being beat up or something, they go out to, to the, in the suburbs or the fringe and they are the most bitter of all. These are the very last ones then who will change their minds. So it's a vicious so you're really talking about, aren't we talking about an irrational fear in the state of our society today? We're talking about an area known as Gage Park community, Gage Park High, the focal point, various communities in it.
South Lynn, St. Basil's. It's called St. Basil's, I suppose, because of the presence of the church there. Well, is actually, it? it's called Back of the Yards. Oh, it's Back of the Yards. Yeah, Very celebrated area in Chicago. And <laughs> might you know, by this time of the world. And a South Angle, West Englewood, West Englewood, where the black people, are they concentrated in this area only, West Englewood? Of West Englewood, yes. uh, Is there... Now they're Black moving on the other side of 55th, which is part of the back of the yard. So mm. that's, that's a surprise and uh, a pleasure. Now, but, but it, you yeah. see, the, the, studs, the thing is, if you have a house and you don't move, nobody can move in where you are. I mean, that's simple logic. Nobody is going to take over your house if you stay there. If people work in the community together, black and white, when the neighborhood starts changing, then you don't have all this harassment. You see, but what happens is that black people move into a community and white people become afraid. They do not work with their black neighbors who would like to work because they've gotten a home and they've been moved too because they've been moved by urban renewal, well, otherwise known as Negro removal, okay? And I so call they've it lost urbane their removal, home. Yeah, but not really. too urbane later. <laughs> right, right. And they've been pushed out and they've moved and they have their hackles up because it's harder for them to get a home. They're paying two or three times the interest rate to get a home, whereas Emily says these people have to find 10000 more, a black family will have to find fifteen dollars or $20,000 more to pay for that same house. So that everybody has that fear. And this, the solution is simply that people must remain where they are unless they decide to move to a job or the house is too small for the kids or something like that. But whoever remains in the community, wherever it's at, they must work. And another thing, Emily, besides the real estate, you've got to get to the banks and find out, are you loaning money to white people who'd like to move into a neighborhood? They aren't. And they are not. Well, then how can you get a mortgage if you really wanted to keep, do what's keep, right? The system keeps you from doing something. You know what so. I'd be interested in hearing? I think uh, we haven't touched, and that's the white people living in this community who are there. Perhaps even through the memories and voices and the actual thoughts of Beverly and of Andy and of Ron and of John, and I'm thinking of the BTA members of Ms. Myers' group, your thoughts about them. Who are they? What are they? For example, Beverly, your parents, what are their thoughts, your parents' thoughts about uh, the black-white situation? They're not for it at all. They think that the blacks, well, they think they have enough from over there, um, over on the other side of Ashland. I live just on the other side of Ashland, on the west side, and they can't see why they have to keep moving and moving. They're putting up high-rises and all that, but the rent is so outrageous, it's pitiful. Yeah, those are areas that are supposed to be renewed so that black people can move back into the area, but it doesn't work that way. Are your parents uh, working people, your father? Uh, no, he's retired. He's retired. What was he? Uh, he worked for the Cook County uh, Construction Department. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, he even has black friends. He's he's prejudiced in ways that, that um, the colored will will hurt him and you know like where he lives and this sort of thing because we we live in an apartment building right on Marshfield and it's really nice there the neighborhood is changing but it isn't that bad how would you feel if a black family moved in your building pretty bad why I feel sorry for him really because the white kids there's three groups. Well, Burger King, after they had been... Burger King is a white uh, street gang, I take it. Yes, mm -hmm. it is. And uh, then we have Marshfield and Polina. And there's 50 to 60, 70 kids that all hang out on the boulevard.
what we want to do is we want to go out there and have fun. Um, sometimes we'll get maybe 30 kids together, we'll have a softball game, but it's just that if they see a colored person, they're very much prejudiced. Why do you think this is? See, you talked about your parents earlier, and this problem obviously you have to face, I'm sure you do, Mrs. Meyer, with the PTA and the school. You know, the earliest about parents should take more interest in their children. The fact is we have a case here, Beverly, talking about her parents and the precise opposite to Casey. How did you come to think a little differently? I don't know. I, I kind of used logic and what the colored people were going through. I figured, well, I wouldn't want myself to be going through the same thing. But still, again, I wouldn't want to, like, enbarge on a white community if I was colored because, well, like, I wouldn't want to enbarge right now on a black community because I feel that, well, it's not right. Because right now the two races are separate. There is no way this day or maybe even tomorrow that they are going to come together. And until they do come together, it's not right. Anywhere but your folks. Well, my parents are, well, my father's a professional man. He's a dentist. Has a neighborhood practice. It's only a mile from our home. He, he has concern over what would happen to the neighborhood should it begin to change colors. And uh, yet, he has demonstrated sufficient faith in the community to the extent of buying a new building so that he, can, he may move his practice. Now, he, he, says, he tells all his patients that he's moving west, you know, and they all raise their eyebrows and they go, LaGrange, down his growth? He knows 50 feet. West. <laughs> now, that's, that's the extent to which he has faith in the community. And like we're talking about blockbusters and panic peddling, I think it's a basic lack of faith in one's fellow man. Uh, I personally would love to see a Negro family live next door to me, or perhaps I should say black. You know, I, I get sometimes fed up with this uh, compartmentalization yeah. America yeah. has, and now we even have what was the new word today? Dupers. 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 <laughs> now we have dupers and we have hippies and we have freaks and who is what? Yeah. Who is what? I think a lot of America is simply disregarding each man for his individual worth. And this perhaps is the basic reason and problem behind all of this stuff. Unfortunately, the solution is not any simple one-shot measure. But as to my parents' views, okay, they've lived there for 25 years now. Uh, they own the home, as do most of the residents in the area. They're not talking of moving. I, I guess they're kind of liberal people, I guess you could say that, using a loose handle. Um, I enjoyed the community. I've lived there all my life. I'd like to see it integrated, because it would be a much more relaxed environment. It'd be a much more natural environment than having this group here, that group there. A, a branch here that has only freshmen, a main building that's all kinds of other people. You know, it's an artificial situation right now. It's not the world. It's not what the gospel preaches. It's not what you hear in church. But you went to a seminary. You attended yeah. seminary for a while. Studying for the priesthood. Yes, that was the story at that time. I don't know what I'm going to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> Ron. Well, where I'm at, we're still basically white. I mean, we've got what, one colored family or two. So we're, we're still a white neighborhood, and we're... West, so there's a, the colors are still a mile, I'd say mile and a half east of us. I mean, I don't know what our neighborhood would do if the colored started moving in. I suppose our neighborhood would probably just accept them. What about your folks? What are their thoughts? Uh, I really couldn't say because they 
usually don't express themselves. That's interesting. You say, don't they talk about it at home uh, ever? They say they don't care, but then like with the uh, Cavini home shooting now, they say that they colors are stupid and, you know, they say, what can they do? And then they go right back and they say something different. I mean, if somebody moved in, sure. They moved in next door, we'd accept them. The human being, they got the money to buy the house, they have the house, that's theirs. I mean, same way if we were to move somewhere else and into a black neighborhood, yeah. well, maybe the blacks wouldn't accept us, but if they moved in ours, it's like people next door, if they sell the house and a white family moves in, we take them, black family. You say, well, you, really you feel this is true of uh, most people in your block? It's hard to tell, of course. John, your thoughts, uh, your parents and their feelings about well, this. Since I can, you know, since I've become aware of their uh, feelings, I've noticed that they've changed quite a bit. That um, at first it didn't seem like they were that prejudiced, but when they, the blacks started moving in our neighborhood, they didn't change that much at first. Like we've got a black family next door, and I like them as a family better than I do on some of the white families on the block. I mean, they're a lot nicer people and everything. But then uh, as more blacks started moving in. The, the gangs started forming again, and like the, the guys that hang out uh, from Rayfields and that, they come over. And then, uh, well, my sister's been threatened a couple times and everything, and they've started, because of the gangs in the uh, neighborhood, they've become afraid, and now they want to move, which we are, we'll be moving in a couple months. And we'd love to stay there, really, because, you know, we like our house and we like our neighbors and everything, but the fact that it's not safe in the neighborhood anymore, that's the thing that bothers them the most. Mm -hmm. They're really not that prejudiced, as far as I can tell. It seems like that they're afraid of that I got a brother and a sister that live with us, and they're afraid for our well-being, I guess. You know, it's hard to tell, really. I think this really is the thing with parents. They can't stand having their children hurt. Uh, I think that's true on both sides, though. You know, that, that's yeah. a problem. Uh, because I know the black parents have gone through so much with the kids going to and from gates, you know, and having the kids hurt and the time they were maced on the bus and all that. It's just pretty bad on both sides, I think. As we were saying, Gage Park, the area, is really a microcosm of our country, what it's all about. Here is a good deal of what we call middle America. Here is a good deal of what we call the silent majority. Here are fears of change, fear of the unknown, and almost in a very dramatic form with uh, more black people in this community. All, all hardworking people who worked hard each for their homes. And now the question is, what is life all about, as Andy Fash has raised, too. So perhaps uh, using the black-white situation as a basis, we know there are other matters that are related to it. The young themselves, the young, what's, what are attitudes of the elderly, elderly, that is my contemporaries, <laughs> parents, parents toward the young in the community? Andy, I suppose you could start this since you are part of the bearded, long-haired young hippie in residence. Yeah, this, uh this strikes me uh, very much. Before I went off to New York, and New York really didn't have any magical uh, impact in making me grow my hair or growing a beard or anything like that. But it, you know, I'm sort of I'm sort of post-beatnik and pre-hippie. You know, I'm 24 years old, and I'm sort of like I'm I'm almost out of the mainstream of the youth element in America today getting close to that 30 when they're going to put me in a detention camp. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I feel that when I go to a grocery store and a mother will clutch to her little children as I walk down the aisle with my shopping cart, uh, that this is really sad. Now, 
uh, do I look that threatening? Uh, do I look like I'm going to, you know, kick her child in the shins and, and break her neck or something? I don't think so. But yet, this mother has this, this response, just to my image, that she has to be so protective and she has so much fear. I, I'll walk down the street and, and someone will pass me and, and, and make a snide comment, you know. Is, is all this really necessary? Am I hurting them in any way? As Beverly was saying about uh, the Constitution, you know, as long as you're not impinging on anyone else's rights, uh, this country gives you a, a license to, to, to do, act, and think as you like. And somehow we're being lied to. This isn't really happening in America today. And I think a lot of, uh, the, or perhaps the majority of youth today, are truly feeling this in one way or another. I certainly feel, uh, at least somehow, how a black person may feel prejudiced against. Of course, I must say it must be much smaller than the way a black person feels. Because when I walk into a, a restaurant and uh, in my neighborhood, and I'll sit down and I'll be the last one to be waited on because uh, everyone else there is uh, a straight-looking person. And now here I've lived there all my life. I'm no different than I was four years ago. Uh, maybe a little more educated, that's all, but that's, uh, that's rather minor. Uh, yet, how come I have to be the last one to be waited on? I was in line, I was waiting. Uh, you suddenly became months. black. Yeah, yeah, overnight in my own neighborhood. And, and then it's a neighborhood also, you know, that, 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 that like you say, you know, is a, a large majority, the silent majority is there. And, well, that's fine, that's good. These people are entitled to their ideas. But do they, must they subject them uh, upon my, my being? And I'm thinking about this neighborhood itself. Are there a number like you there? You have friends returned who lived in this neighborhood most yeah. of their lives? Yeah, the, the kids I went to high school with, and now that they've been Less boarding, long hair? Oh, yes. Yeah. Long hair and beads and things like that, you know, the whole hippie thing. Mrs. Meyer, your thoughts? Uh, well, I'm just wondering, I'm an older person, of course, than Andy, a mother of a, a daughter who went to school with Andrew. Um, what the sign or what, you know, is this uh, Andy coming out? Is this the kids today expressing themselves in the way that they want to? Is this their thing? Or, you know, just basically, uh, I'm not afraid of, you know, seeing a fellow uh, with a beard and long hair going down the street. But when I pass this person, I wonder, well, now, is he rebelling against society? Is he rebelling against something in the home? Or just why is he doing this? Because it's not, you know, the general consensus of today, as, as it were. I, th I think the fear that most of America feels when they encounter a person with long hair is precisely the idea that these people with the hair and the beards are not going to fit into the mainstream of American society. These people, you know, a lot, everyone stereotypes. Hippies stereotype, you know, greasers will stereotype, middle America will stereotype, blacks will stereotype. And when one encounters a person of a hippie countenance, they stereotype an image of someone who's going to immediately go off to a commune. They're not going to buy a car on payments, therefore they're not going to support the American economy. And after all, the American economy makes this whole nation of ours go around. Now, if you have enough of these people, pretty soon we won't have this great land of ours any longer, right? And I think that's the fear that, that really strikes the hearts of people. When one isn't going to support the system that is now established, then everything will break down. Therefore, their personal property goes right out the window and all these other ideas that people have worked very hard for. 
But what they what they don't remember is that yet these people with long hair must eat, and they are dependent upon the system. They will want some place to live, and there are things within the American system that are very very good. You know, the democratic process and all. Unfortunately, it's, it's just a relatively few that make it bad for everyone. I think that's the case in all things. You are know? you working though as a, uh, uh, an employer? Uh, you know, today, take people with long hair, do you find it hard to... It, it is more difficult to get a job, yes, but it's not impossible. Uh, I think this summer, if you were to ask me right now, am I employed, I'd have to tell you no. Uh, of course, there are certain reasons why I'm not, one of which was I was 1A, and no one will... It's hard to get a job when you're 1A, let alone the hair, you know. And uh, uh, now these problems have been rectified, and... Uh, I, I am free to seek employment, but it's going to be hard with the nature of the economy and in the, the way it is.